Delighted to be joined by our next guest. Joining us in the spotlight is, in his sixth season, as the head coach of the University of Denver Hockey Pioneers, David Carl. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate uh, you having me on. Uh, Coach, uh, I watched both games this past weekend. It was a great hockey weekend uh, in New England uh, for the college game. Uh, Friday night, you play Providence, two teams ranked in the top 10 uh, early on in the campaign. And then Saturday night, a, a very rare regular season occurrence where you get two of the top three teams in the country going head-to-head, the two youngest teams, and maybe the two most talented teams in all of college hockey. And uh, we'll talk about both games, but I want to start with Saturday night. Uh, we were chatting uh, off-air just before we uh, began here. Both games were 4-3. You lost at Providence. You won at BC. But I thought they were very different games, and I thought your team was much better, much more connected, and obviously a better third-period team, a better finish to the game on Saturday night when you were trailing 2-1 at the end of two periods and managed three goals, two on the power play in the third period. Did you feel that way, uh, that even though the scores were similar, the games were very different and you were very much improved from one night to the next? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's funny to even say that because Providence, I think we only gave up 18 shots. Right. Boston <laughs> College, I think it was 27 or 28, but um, yeah, it's odd. The, the game is sometimes like that. And I think uh, one of the areas that it started well with was one of our keys to the game on Saturday night was to, was only to go to the box three or less times. Right. Um, and we, we were able to manage only taking two penalties um, on the night against a very good power play unit that Boston College has. And I think the rhythm of the five-on-five game, you know, there was the night before, I think it was nine to five power plays versus penalty kills for us. And then on Saturday night, I think we had five power plays and two penalty kills. So there was just more rhythm to the game, which I think helps us and our team um, establish, you know, our poor checking game and our puck pressure game. And um, it, it just, it's less segmented, which allows our speed and our depth to really take the game over. That That's a huge advantage, I thought, that we have over Boston College. They certainly have, the high end that can match us, but our depth, I think, um, overwhelm them. And when you're playing all five on five, mostly that depth gets an opportunity to actually factor in the game when a special teams game, it's really your top end guys that are, that are deciding the outcome of the game. When you're coaching so many young players and obviously there, there's, you know, guys coming in and coming out, it's a college program. Is there a challenge to get that discipline in the early going, especially when trying to limit penalties a little more in this early part of the season than it is later? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, every team's so different. Um, you know, look at our team a year ago, and we, you know, felt like we had penalty trouble, and that was a veteran team. And the year before was maybe a little bit younger and didn't have penalty trouble. Yeah. I just, it, it really just is a mindset, and it's it's on us as coaches to talk about it, show it, call penalties in practice, and it's on the guys to go out and execute. And I, I give them credit. I mean, we took one undisciplined penalty on Saturday. There was a late hit. There was um, not wise of us. And then we took a, a hold, you know, halfway late in the third that, uh, you know, kind of felt like not a makeup call, but it felt like we had three power plays, so they needed to give them, them one. You know, so I, I really like our stick details and our checking, and you just try and celebrate that when you see it in film and show it to the guys. Uh, 
Talk about your freshmen. Obviously, you have a bunch of them. I think more freshmen coming in this year than you've had any time in this decade so far, a total of 10. And five of the 10 have already gotten on the score sheet, uh, including uh, a younger brother of one of your veteran uh, defensemen. Yeah, the the freshmen have done a nice job. Um, you know, there's there's only two true freshmen in the group, so the the rest are nineteen twenty year olds. Um, but obviously, Zeev is is one of the true tra- true freshmen, um, doing a really nice job implementing himself into how we play, and as are the others. Boston Buckberger is named Defenseman of the Week in our league for right. what he accomplished on the weekend. Um, you know, Sammy Harris, Nico Matica, these are guys who had really good secure and Sebrian, you know, had really good years in the USHL prior to coming here and uh, come in with a lot of confidence. So um, as we talked to them when they first got here back in June, it's like, look around, there's 10 of you. There's only 26 guys on our team. Um, you make up more than a third of the group. Um, so your guys is how you guys operate, how you develop is going to be instrumental in how far the team goes. So um, it's not just come here and dip your toe in the water. Um, you're coming in here, and we're, we're going to ask a lot of you to, um, to be able to contribute early and often and throughout the whole duration of the season. You do have the 10 freshmen, but if I'm correct, you have nine players returning from the championship team of two years ago, and uh, the leaders, your uh, of course, captain uh, is uh, uh, McCade Webster, and your alternate captains are Connor Capone, Carter King, and Massimo Rizzo, all very familiar faces. And, of course, uh, uh, Carter King had the game-winning goal on the power play with two minutes, two seconds left uh, the other night. Uh, how do those nine with championship experiences mingle with the 10 freshmen? I think they're doing a nice job. Um, you know, they they were on a championship team as, as younger people in the program. Um, and so they've now they're the veteran guys. And I think they know the value of, of uh, intermingling and connecting with everybody. And that's been a huge advantage. Um, you know, some people are maybe a little bit scared to go on the road with a young team. Um, I should, you know, our, our stance is that it's better. It just gets all of them around each other, hanging out with one another, communicating with one another. Um, you know, so it's been great to, to go to Alaska, to go to Boston, um, to get out, get on the road. I know it's a little late for our fans to get their home opener, you know, yeah. having to wait until October 27th. But um, I think what they're going to like what they see based on the bonding and the connectivity that we've been able to develop on the road, not only on the ice, but off the ice. And in the college game, the off the ice is just as important um, in the on the ice part. We're speaking with David Carl, the head coach of DU Hockey. And uh, I do want to get back to the Pioneers, but in a couple months here, you're going to be coaching Team USA at the IAHF World Juniors, you know, your first experience coaching Team USA. The uh, idea of making that leap, uh, you'll be the first DU coach to do that since the, the 70s, I believe, since Murray Armstrong did it. And so this is obviously a big responsibility, a big honor. But I'm curious about the scheduling when it comes to balancing the two right in the heart of the season. It's got to be a challenge. Yeah, um, it, it can be for sure. But, you know, we have such a great staff with the USA team. John Van Beesbrook, he's been doing it for a number of years yes. now. 
um, really has an exceptional pulse on the player pool, on the people evaluating the player pool, and his ability to really manage the group and the team and um, who we need to watch, when we need to watch them. I've been really impressed. And, you know, not that it's made – it's not easy to do both, but it's certainly made it easier um, based on his professionalism and organization uh, for someone like myself or the other coaches on staff to be able to, you know, we show up to camp this summer and everything's very organized and we get the right players there. And now you can, you can just go back to your teams. And certainly we're watching, keeping tabs on, on the, on the player pool as coaches, but it really is a freeing uh, feeling knowing that you have someone like John who has so much experience and, and trust um, in him. And, you know, we've, we have a call coming up this week um, just to discuss the player pool as we continue to, uh, you know, try and narrow that down as we report on December 13th. It is coming quick, um, but it's been – I've learned a lot. I've, I've grown a lot through it. Um, I think it's been a great experience and process to go through. Just a small correction. I, I credited Murray Armstrong, who has plenty of credits to his name at DU. Actually, it was Marshall Johnson, who <laughs> yes. led the yes. uh, Team USA yeah. IHF back in That's 1977. Right. I, I wanted to ask you, because I think one of uh, your assistants uh, will be the Augustana coach, if I'm not mistaken. Out of South Dakota, Sioux Falls. Uh, yes. uh, Augustana yep. coming in on Friday night for your home opener starting at 7 o'clock. Uh, pretty good team for a first-year uh, Division One team. Yes, they lost two at Wisconsin, but they also won two against Bowling Green, a respectable program. And uh, you'll be going after, and I know how much you love to talk about yourself and these uh, statistics <laughs> you've, uh, you've built up, but you'll be going after your 120th win. And just to give people listening some perspective, you've coached five seasons, but two of them were shortened by the pandemic. Um, do you allow yourself in season to appreciate milestones uh, like this, I mean, 120 wins in five years plus four games with two of those five years being shortened by a pandemic is uh, virtually unprecedented in the glorious history of this uh, program. You took over from a championship coach in Jim Montgomery. You worked with a championship coach in George Gwazdecki. Uh, can you talk as awkward as it may be about uh, – how you've grown as a coach and how you've managed to keep this program with two frozen four appearances and a national championship to your name at or near the top of the heap year in and year out. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, uh, the question and um, I guess I'll try. Um, <laughs> I mean, to answer your question, do I allow myself to do that? Um, not, I, truthfully, no, not really. Um, you know, it's funny. We had a talk with the team uh, actually on Monday about, you know, just the how much bigger the program is than each and every one of us. And, um, you know, and then, um, you know, oddly enough, a, an article comes out this morning and it kind of speaking to, um, you know, what you're talking about, Sandy. Yeah. It was it was all about um, about how Denver um you know, I'm just pulling it up here, you know, keeping in the comparison, think uh, about how much Oklahoma wins on a consistent basis. A nine and three season is essentially a disappointment. It's almost right. always in contention for national championship. When it comes to Denver, the coach, the players, the personnel, they can all 
undergo change at every conceivable position and still churn out winning teams. I'd kill for that type of consistency out of my team if I'm not a Denver fan. I can't think of a team that's been better since the 2000-2001 season, though the COVID season aside. Um, you know, and so I just think we have a lot of pride in um, being the best year in and year out. And, you know, to answer your question, like, I don't even think we're – I still think we're just scratching the surface of, of what we can be doing as a program and how we're going to continue to grow and build – our fan base, our resources, the players we're going to bring in here. Um, it's like, it's kind of just like a, a no mercy, no prisoners attitude. We want to be the best and we want it to be undisputed. We're not there yet, but we're certainly working our way there. And we're really proud of what we've accomplished so far. We're certainly aware of the history of our program and how great the past is. And that really inspires us to keep pushing it forward. And so there's just like a real, um, internal hunger from myself, but our staff and all of our players to keep driving this thing forward. And we've got great community support. Um, you know, we're real proud of the fact that we're a consistent winner in town that people can, you know, rely on and come and, and watch meaningful games in the second half of the year and watch us in the postseason year in and year out. Um, Cause this is a hard market to compete in with all the pro sports teams we have and, everything going on up at CU, as fun as it is to watch, um, you know, we'd like to consider ourselves as, as kind of that stable, steady, consistent performer um, that people in this community community can rely on uh, to put out a great product every year. So we're really proud of it. And, um, you know, we just want to continue growing and getting better. We're, we're still hungry. And I think that's important for everybody to know as we continue to push here toward our 10th championship and beyond. Yeah, consistent and stable sounds like one thing, but when you realize you're pushing, as you pointed out, for your 10th national title as a program, that's a different one. David Carl, the head coach of one of those, by the way, and uh, always a treat to talk to you. If you don't get a chance to go down and see the Pioneers against Augustana on the home opener, they will take on Air Force the next day, and if you can't get into the arena, it'll be on Altitude Television, so check out the Pioneers then. Thanks for the time, Coach. Hopefully we'll get to check in with you again as the season goes along. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, John. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Thanks to the hockey head coach, David Carl, whose team has won a championship in recent history. The Avalanche won a championship in recent history. The Denver Nuggets are literally, as we speak, raising their banner to the rafters of Ball Arena. The Denver Broncos have won three Super Bowls. One of them, not really. It feels for Broncos fans like forever ago. There's fans of a lot of other NFL teams that are like, shut up. We wish it was was that recent. Or if we had one at all. But for the Broncos, they seem further away from contention. Even after this this win uh, against the Packers, they seem further away this year, Sandy, than they did the year before. And the idea now, of course, is the, the trade deadline is uh, just about a week away, a week today, as a matter of fact. Do the Broncos wait until they play the Chiefs? Do they... Start moving quickly. I mean, when, when do you expect them to make moves? And, and did 
Cortland Sutton perhaps accelerate his path out of town, or did he find himself could in be. a spot where he stayed? Uh, could be. Uh, Seems like a good audition reel, for yeah, lack of a better term. I, I, I would think that was uh, a showcase of sorts on Sunday, and that was as good a game as I've seen him play in the last year and a half, uh, almost a year and a half since the beginning of last year. And I suppose Jerry Judy is still a strong trade possibility. My sense is defensively, I, I I suppose if you could get the right deal for Justin Simmons, you'd seriously consider making it. You know that Philadelphia but is off the table now. They made a trade for Bayard yesterday. Off the table, uh, because they uh, traded for uh, a top-tier safety. So it, he won't be going to Philadelphia. Uh, Bayard's terrific player. Yeah. I, I think no, that's, a good trade. that's an A, at worst, A-minus deal for the Philadelphia Eagles, who are really banged up in the secondary and particularly at the safety spot. Um, but even even without that deal, the, the Broncos have been serviceable defensively with Simmons, whereas they were dreadful without him. And I'm beginning to think that though... Patrick Sutan is, what, about six years younger, mm-hmm. that the Broncos' best, most impactful defensive player um, as a leader, as a player, is Justin Simmons, not Patrick Sutan. They gave up 70 points in Miami with yeah. Patrick Sutan playing the whole game. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, it just at a certain point, it becomes unavoidable to, to look at it any other way, right? I mean, the, the defense with Simmons is so much better. And look, that's, that's good and bad, folks, because at the same time, if one guy makes that much of a difference, how that bad means, that must means the you, other 10 right, guys You be. don't have that much yeah. talent. That's really right. what it means, right? Right. I mean, that's the I concern. Agree. I agree. And I, I think it's a bit of a blight on Sutan's reputation that they've been as bad as they've been. And by the way, a DVOA, the football outsiders metric, uh, measuring efficiency fundamentally, uh, still places the Broncos dead last in defense in the National Football League uh, behind Arizona, um, the 31st-ranked team, uh, behind Carolina, the 30th-ranked mm-hmm. defensive team, uh, and among others, behind the team they just beat, the Green Bay Packers, right. defensively, and the Chicago Bears, defensively, also a team the Broncos beat. And you have to go to the Chargers, against whom the Broncos have not played this year, uh, to, to complete the list of five or six worst defensive teams in the sport. The Broncos are still at the bottom. Uh, They rank 15th offensively, middle of the pack, which I think is about uh, where they should be. Arizona, for example, is 16th. And they are third on special teams. Uh, I I don't know quite how they rate that high, uh, but the only two teams ahead of them, on special teams this year are the Jets against whom they lost at home. Mm -hmm. 
And the team they'll be playing Sunday, who has already beaten them once, the Chiefs. Those are the two best special teams, and the Broncos are number three. But the defense is still dead last. I don't think they'll be trading defensive players. I I think they'll be trading uh, wide receivers um, who, you know, I mean, I, I still can't believe the Minnesota Vikings looked as good as they looked last night against the 49ers without Justin Jefferson on the field. Because to me, among non-quarterbacks, if you're talking about most valuable players in the league, Mm non-quarterback category, he's he's in your top five. Forget about top ten. He's in your top five, and he might be be second or third. I I think there's some defensive players. Micah Parsons comes to mind Mm -hmm. uh, who might be a little more valuable, a little more indispensable to their teams, although – Nick Bosa played last night. The 49ers, at least on defense, were relatively healthy, and they scorched. Yeah. And most of that was Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins had a great but, game. And, and, but <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of it were, were players who were in secondary roles, even as starters, or they were guys who really hadn't been playing and moved up. And it was also a reminder that for a bad team, Minnesota has a very, very good offensive line. I mean, they did the 49er pass rush did not exist last night right. against Kirk Cousins, who made one mistake in the first series of the game and was effectively flawless throughout the rest of the game in what turned out to be a fairly routine win by the Vikings, 22-17 did, over the 49ers. Did you get the feeling, I even watching that game, there was a part of me. There was a part of me, because we know how far back Kyle Shanahan and Kirk Cousins go. Yeah. There was a part of me watching that, especially late, that, that wondered in the back of Kyle Shanahan's brain a little bit. He's like, ooh, we are this close to winning the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah. Should we? Should I talk to John Lynch and see well, if we should maybe make that move? I think move? that ship has sailed. <laughs> I do, but too. I think if Purdy, that, as, as was reported this week at uh, ESPN, if Purdy had not come back healthy, they would not have turned to Sam Darnold. No. And we know they let Trey Lance go. They would not have turned to Sam Darnold. Because they Cousins would have, would have been a plug, plug and play right. for in the Shanahan he knows offense. The, he knows the offense. So it, it would defy the usual rule that trading for quarterbacks uh, once the preseason has started, certainly once the season has started, trading for quarterbacks and expecting them to step right in and start is very yeah. tough because Fool unless there, you, you have a, a photographic memory, you're not going to pick up an offense that's new in three or four days. The deal with Cousins, though, is that he's been coaching this offense by Kyle Shanahan and by Mike Shanahan in this offense and would not require any additional time to pick up on it again. And, oh, it's a reminder that there are days, not weeks on end, but days on which Kirk Cousins is – to uh, use Eli Manning's term, an elite quarterback. Yes, Just as there were there days on which Eli Manning was an elite Happened quarterback. They usually come on Super Peyton Bowl Sundays. Manning was an elite quarterback. There were days, and Eli was one of those guys in the playoffs, one of the few quarterbacks in the history of the game who played better in the playoffs than he did during the regular season. It's almost always the other way around. It was the other way around with Brady. Mm-hmm. It was the other way around with Peyton Manning. They were better regular season quarterbacks than they were playoff quarterbacks. 
Not that they were bad playoff quarterbacks. They were just that much better in the regular season because they killed the weaker teams. They absolutely annihilated the weaker teams. Well, you're not playing weak teams generally in the playoffs. Eli Manning would raise his game against the better teams, and that's why even though, judging by his regular season record, he's nowhere close to being a Hall of Famer, he's one of those guys who might on the margins get in because not only did he – play quarterback on two Super Bowl championship teams in both Super Bowls. They beat the Patriots as heavy underdogs, and they beat the undefeated Patriots in 2007, a team that was 18-0 and on the verge of becoming the first 19-0 and and probably the last 19-0 uh, would think, in yes. the history of the NFL. So you, you look at all of these things, and I'm thinking with you, that Mike Shanahan last night looked out there at Brock Purdy and saw a little too much of Jimmy Garoppolo in Brock Purdy. And he looked at Kirk Cousins, and he also looked at Kirk Cousins' offensive line as it was constituted last night, as opposed to the 49ers' offensive line without Trent Williams, and said, I'd rather have their quarterback, and and I'd rather have their offensive line, too. That's, I think, fascinating because you talk about those players that are, uh, we talk about Justin Simmons, as essentially, apparently, an indispensable part of your team. Yes. You can make the argument. Your most valuable player is Justin Simmons. Over the last couple weeks for the San Francisco 49ers, the most, talent up and down. You can Bosa and McCaffrey all you want. The, The MVP, the most talented, indispensable player on that team is Trent Williams. I think so. I think so. They're not the the same team without him. He's the left tackle. You create a weakness at left tackle. They are not great at right tackle. Um, You know, I I think the guy at right tackle, in their view, is at least as good as McGlinchey. But we've seen here in Denver that McGlinchey isn't very good as a right tackle. As a starting right tackle in the NFL, he's not particularly good, especially when it comes to pass blocking. So... Yes, it and, and it changes. And now everybody's off the 49ers. And uh, yes, the 49ers have lost two kind of grimy games and all the uh, flash and dash that was a part of the first five wins they had in the first five weeks of the season. That That's kind of gone. McCaffrey played last night, but he had a key turnover. Uh, a turnover, I thought, set the tone for the game. Because the 49ers are going to go up three to nothing or seven to nothing. He fumbles in the red zone, and the 49ers aren't the same team after that. They can barely do anything on offense. McCaffrey did score two touchdowns. And defensively, even more shockingly, they were terrible. Minnesota gained 430, 440 yards, something like that, and basically moved the ball and scored whenever they wanted to, including late in the first half. When it's close and the 49ers seem to be back in the game and all of a sudden there's a touchdown pass thrown on a play that was kind of similar to the uh, Sertan play the other day, a wrestling match that the 49er defensive back had won earlier in the game, but he lost him uh, late in the first half. And that touchdown put him up 16 to seven at half and they were never headed after that. It's, it's, Part of what I think frustrates Broncos fans, the idea that if you can just be in the mix, I mean, these things happen here and there, and the Broncos have not been able to do it. They will get, by the way, uh, just just a, literally a couple moments ago as we were talking, uh, Tom Pelissero reports that Broncos safety Kareem Jackson's four-game suspension has been cut in half 
Derek Brooks, oh, the appeals officer, uh, made the decision after hearing the appeal, so he will miss the game. Now, if you're a Kareem Jackson, <laughs> wow, lucky you! You uh, miss you miss the Chiefs Jackson, and you're the, lucky, and you miss the Chiefs and the Bills. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you don't have to miss you're, the. You're, uh, <laughs> you're lucky if you're Kareem Jackson. I'm also not saves sure. you about two hundred thousand dollars. Yes. That's I'm nice. not sure you're lucky if you're the Broncos and plan on playing Kareem Jackson because I'm not sure in the next two weeks. And that's what I think is Lock interesting. Won't prove to be the I agree player, because I wonder if uh, Sean Payton, who is clearly not uh, opposed, we've we've seen uh, you know Rand Gregory moved out, we've seen Frank, Frank Clark, Clark moved out, yeah. uh, we've we've seen him start to to move some things around. Uh, it would not shock me if he decided over the next two weeks, especially if he performs well against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, yeah. that if you're Sean Payton, you may decide, I know uh, what I have in Kareem Jackson. I, I need to see what this kid can do. Yes. I need him to start and see yes. how he holds up. Yes. I and agree. quite frankly, if I were Sean Payton, that's where my head would go because and you're not going if, to the if playoffs. If I'm Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, that's how I'd be thinking too. Here is the frustration, though, when you've touched on it. In the National Football League right now, through seven weeks, Teams at four and three or worse, 20 out of the 32 teams, that's 62.5% of the league, is four and three or worse. Four and three in the AFC means you're Buffalo and you're the last qualifying playoff team as the standings appear today. They're still a Super Bowl favorite. And in the NFC, if... You're 500, you're a playoff team. The non-playoff teams are all 3 and 4, 2 and 4, 2 and 5, 1 and 6 or 0 oh and 6. All that would need is two more measly wins. That's it. Against they beat the, Chicago against the and Bears Bay. or the Jets or the Commanders or the Raiders and and you only need You need to go three. 2 and 2 against you're, those guys? Well, You've gone two and two against those guys, but you should have beaten all four. Right. Should have beaten all four, and then you'd be four and three, and you'd be, I'm guessing, Washington's non-conference, Chicago's non-conference, Green Bay's non-conference, Raiders in conference, but three of the four non-conference teams. So I'm guessing on tiebreakers they'd be behind Buffalo, but they'd be ahead of Houston. At Houston's three and three, Jets at three and three, Cincinnati three and three. Of course, the Jets at the Broncos would beat them, which they were favored to do. You know, it, listen, this, this team should not be four and three. That's not what I'm saying. This team deserves to be two and five, and you could even argue they're. Lucky to be two and five. Yes. Because they were way behind the Bears. Look, they, and they blew a big Sandy, lead be and fell behind against They could Green be 0 and 7. Could be 0 and 7, too. So, I, I, all I'm saying is in this NFL, Pete Rozelle's principle of parity or his aspiration mm-hmm. that the NFL be a league of parity, as in P A R I T Y, not P A R R D. Uh, O-D-Y, Very important which I, distinction I thought, to make. I yes. thought often uh, parody spelled the first way was really parody, and it was mass mediocrity is what it was. Uh, but that's not what it the is. Later years of the 1980s, there were great teams and awful teams and a whole bunch of teams in between. But that's kind of what it is now. And 
listen, you've got uh, a four and three Atlanta team in the NFC South leading its division. And by the way, the Broncos are two and five in the second worst of the eight NFL divisions right now. The AFC West, the only division weaker on point differential in the AFC West is the NFC South. I, Every I, other division is stronger and, than and the, the thing AFC is, West. I look at it and I get I get the idea that it's, you know, it, it, you can look at it and say that for the most part, it's mediocrity. And, and look, that is a totally fair assessment if you want to look and at it. The Broncos it can't even beat It mediocre. truly is. But I, I guess I look at what the NFL is doing and it's, I, I don't look at it as mediocrity. What I look at is teams that execute on the on their given day can beat any other team. It becomes yeah. it becomes yeah. not necessarily mediocrity, yeah. but a week to week battle. And and if you're the the 49ers, you can't go into the play the Vikings and expect that they're going to roll over. No, that they're ready. They're going to come out. No, and, and, and if you don't you. take advantage of them. Early they, as the 49ers failed to do last night, they'll run you out of the building. That, you're going to go can home with a loss. You and you're right. Twenty-two seventeen. Uh, that score made the game appear closer than we yeah. know the game actually was. If you watch the game, and, and I think for for that part of it, that's where in theory the Broncos are paying Sean Payton because right, if it's a week to week thing, and then his coaching should make a difference. The coaching should make the difference. The idea behind it, right, is coaching should make a bigger difference. But and DVOA says the Broncos are one of the four worst teams in football, and one of the three teams behind them already beat them at home this year, yeah. that team being the Raiders. Yikes. The Giants and Carolina are the only other two teams behind Denver. And there are, out of 32 teams, two teams at the moment that I trust to play to a reasonable standard they're two of three teams that are in the top 10 in DVOA. There's even three that you trust. Offense, defense, and special teams. No, I'm saying two of those three I trust. Oh, okay. Detroit is the third. I don't trust no. Detroit. The two teams I trust are not the top two teams in the league, according to DVOA, Baltimore and San Francisco. The two teams I trust are Kansas City and Philadelphia. Those are the, the two only two Super I Bowl teams to. from last year. They're the only two teams out of 32 that week to week I trust. And even Philadelphia got surprised Although by you, the Jets. You talk about coaching, and this is, again, where I, I, I firmly believe that two of the very best coaches in the league, and they both have rings to prove it, are in the AFC North. And that's Mike Tomlin yeah. and John Harbaugh. I agree. Look what they just I did agree. last week. I mean, I think I think it has made a difference. So the Broncos have a very large hill to climb. I don't even know... The, the difficulty about this is when, when when things are bad, you have to start figuring out where the things are bad. And we always look for quick fixes in today's society, yeah. and that's a big mistake. Well, that's part of the Broncos problem. It that's is. a major part of the Broncos problem, always looking for and the quick And we don't fix. really know. It has has the, oh, the only a year away, it seems unlikely, but as the game passed Sean Payton by, maybe it has, or maybe he has to catch up. But we can't he really. He definitely has to catch but up. But you can't determine that one way or the other for certain because the roster simply isn't competitive on a week-to-week basis at the NFL yeah. level. Well, more than one thing can be true. Right. He he has been but a when disappointment. More than one thing can be coach. true. It becomes you. You can't look for quick fixes. No. 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 And I'm still not certain that the Broncos understand that. Uh, Kansas City is not a quick fix operation. They're still making deals. Philadelphia made a big deal. Kansas City got uh, McCole Hardman back. Philadelphia made a deal for buyers today. Uh, Detroit, I, I, 
because of all the years of losing. Detroit, yes, sixth in offense, ninth in defense, ninth on special teams. Don't trust them. Uh, Those two teams, Kansas City and Philadelphia, who within the last 10 years have won between them three Super Bowls and been in other Super Bowls they have lost, right? Philadelphia to Kansas City last year, Kansas City to Tampa. Uh, Listen, those are the class organizations in the league. They're the models, and they never go for the quick fix. Well, it's not going to get easier for the Denver Broncos who take on the Chiefs. Now, amazingly, by the way, you're a uh, you're well. If you're like me, I I would think I'm I think I'm fine. But uh, it's supposed to snow in Denver on Sunday. Supposed to be cold and chilly for the Bron- for the fans. Bad for the Broncos. Good. At least if you want to try to equalize it a little bit because they take on the Chiefs. Well, the Nuggets have their banner hanging from the rafters of... Chiefs know about cold weather. Yeah, they, it's plenty cold over there, too. But uh, I'm looking. I'm grasping at straws here, okay? When you're 2 at 5, this is what you get. The, the Nuggets have the raised Chiefs their banner over too. at uh, Ball Arena. The Avalanche go tonight in just a little bit. We'll check in on all of it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, if you missed any part of the show on Monday, of course you missed out because we have Dr. Rick Bray, our friend, on Monday for our Mental Health Monday and check up from the neck up. Sandy, you have a little more about Dr. Rick? Absolutely. I've known Dr. Rick Perea, performance psychologist supreme, for a little more than a decade now. He's the best in the business. You get your checkup from the neck up every Monday here on Mile High Sports. On Mental Monday from Dr. Rick Perea, who is the former psychologist of the world champion Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, world champion Denver Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look him up at Dr. P at think1number4u. Dot org. That's think one for you dot org. He's improved my mental health and he'll do the same thing for you. you. You might be able to, you know, do a little trading him a little bit there because that performance psychologist supreme, if you spelled the supreme with a PS, then it would all be, you know, would all work out that way. Yeah. The Nuggets watch their banner go to the, uh, the ball arena rafters. They've received their rings. Uh, Nuggets and Lakers are playing. The Avalanche will be in action against the Islanders. Uh, game seven of the playoffs uh, in baseball, the Phillies and Diamondbacks. Wow. If the Diamondbacks were to night. win, the Diamondbacks and the, the Texas Rangers, that would be the first World Series right. between teams that had 100 or more losses only two years ago. Right, right. And there was an interesting story today that I came across in which uh, the hiring of Bruce Bochy was explained and uh, Chris Young, general manager of the Texas Rangers, hires Bochi after a 100-loss season and last year a 94-loss season. They went 68-94, and Young is selling Bochi on taking the job. And Bochi's won it three looks World like a Series before. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, listen, we're going to win here eventually. 
But right now we're in the beginning stages of a rebuild, and we we don't expect to win big this year, but we want you to help us through the early stages of this rebuild. They almost reversed their record from last year. They go 90-72. and 72. They tie for first. They lose on a tiebreaker the last day of the season when they lose a game in Seattle. So Houston wins the division, has home field advantage when they meet for the American League pennant. And the visiting team wins every game. And Texas wins the series in seven. Wow. Decisively. That's a, uh, wow. That's kind of, I mean, it's, uh, what what a run. What a phenomenal kind of uh, situation there. Bochy's such an interesting guy. I mean, not only the tremendous uh, career, of course, he was actually uh, uh, born in France uh, uh, with his father stationed at uh, an army base out there. And when he graduated uh, from high school, if you remember the uh, talented mimic Daryl Hammond of Saturday Night Live, yeah. They were high school baseball teammates, and here's here's Bochy with a, a, a just a almost totally unique managerial record, and the opportunity to go ahead and get that done with the, with the Rangers. I mean, just remarkable work done. And then you have Tori Lavulo of the uh, of the Diamondbacks giving a, a kind of a, a newer approach to it. It's been fascinating. This is and, it, and remember with the Diamondbacks, and I'm not going to spend. We look, we've talked about the champion Broncos, and we've talked about the. Uh, you know, but when they had their days, and we had, we, talk, we even pushed them back because the Nuggets and, and uh, Avs and DU Pioneers have been more recent. But it's not like the Diamondbacks had to win 100 games. No. They won 84, and here they are, game seven, one game away yeah. from the World Series. And this idea that, you know, that you just, the same thing we're talking about with the NFL, just get in the dance. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, listen, the Rockies lost, what, 103 games? Mm-hmm. That's a long ways from eighty four and seventy eight, right? Fifty nine yeah. and one hundred three. I guess one hundred four. Uh, that's that's twenty five games there. away. But Arizona finished how many games behind the Dodgers? Sixteen yeah. <laughs> games behind the Dodgers and beat them right to get to the NLCS against the Phillies, who are one of the hot teams in baseball, and, and really the cool one off. team, the one team that has. Because of its fans, an a actual very clear baseball home field advantage. home field advantage, and Arizona went in down three games to two and beat them in Game Six after losing the first two games mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. Arizona's forced a seventh game tonight, and of course on the other side yesterday, down three to two, the Texas Rangers come back in Houston and win Game Six and Game Seven easily. Yeah, in both cases, in the, easily. Yeah, they easily. Them. So I mean, and so just I, get in. Yes, get in. Just, just get in, <sighs> and weird things can happen. Hey, the Kansas City Royals, who are now dreadful, made two straight World Series in 2014, right. 2015. It, it it can happen, and they should have won. Ew. Are the Broncos the They should have won. I, I, I believe <laughs> they should have won both World Series. They did beat the Mets. Bruce Bochy's Giants beat them in 2014, but not – Easily, yeah, and without the flaky I, pitcher, I, I, uh, I think they, I think they should have won. Uh, City would have won that one too. And, and so, you, you look around. A sixty-eight win team last year is in the World Series this year, for the first time since eleven years uh, ago, when they lost to St. Louis in a series they should have won. Ron Washington was the manager, and they came so close. 
and St. Louis beat them out. And now they're back after losing 100 games two years ago and 94 games last year. They are in the World Series this year. That's how quickly things can turn around if you've got the right people at the helm. And Lavulo and uh, and uh, Bochi, very different stylistically. Lavulo is more new age. Yeah. And Bochi is an old managed by field guy uh, who's uh, an expert on pitching. The way he manipulated that pitching staff in game seven last night. Scherzer started at just what he needed out of Scherzer, got him out. Got Montgomery in. And I thought starting Scherzer was a bad idea. And and I thought it was going to be Scherzer tough for Scherzer. But it, he had enough. He wasn't great, but he had just enough to give him some innings. So they get to Montgomery. And you could tell Montgomery coming in in the middle of the game, he's a starting pitcher. He, he was uncomfortable. He was not real sharp. But he, but he got them again enough. And by the time the shaky bullpen <laughs> emerged, they had a huge lead, and the Chapmans and the Leclercs, who, who have been shaky at times, they, they got them through. Texas is okay, not great in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, but, wow, wizardry in the first six innings demonstrated by Bruce Bochy, who followed a path. He was manager of the Padres, became manager of the Giants, that Bob Melvin followed right. today, a very good manager who went from the Padres and, like Buck Showalter, Bob Melvin, Felt the wrath of a heavy spending team that didn't win this year, having little or nothing to do with Bob Melvin's managerial capabilities. Bob Melvin goes now from the Padres to the Giants, just as Bruce Bochy did. Um, Melvin's going to have to go some to get to uh, where Bruce Bochy has been, though, and may well be once again this year, because if it's the Diamondbacks uh, who win tonight, Texas Rangers will be favored in the World Series. So quickly before we go, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit as the, the, the season goes along. But the NBA set a new record, again, for the second year in, in, in a row. 125 international players on NBA rosters. That's a new record. Every single team, Sandy, now has at least one. If you think that's odd, consider this. The last five MVPs have been handed out to international players. Now, granted, it's three players. It's Embiid, and it's Jokic, and it's, it's Giannis Ndidogupo. But you look at the best players in the league, if we were to talk about it, who are they? Jokic, Giannis. You can put Embiid in there. I'm not going to argue it. Luka Doncic. Jamal Murray's Canadian. I mean, th- this, it, it, this isn't going away. The dream team, now decades later, has now brought basketball around the globe to a level where now basketball is bringing its international style back to the United States, and it's the league that sent its guys out into the world that are now having to adapt back, and the league's better for it. This, this feels like a, a golden age for the NBA, and the Denver Nuggets rule the roost. So this will be a tremendous amount of fun to cover it uh, all year. Looking forward to doing it again. Thanks to all of you for listening, whether you were on the uh, HD radio, the FM, MyLifeSports.com, or on the app. Appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy the games tonight. I mean, you can't go wrong. Nuggets, Avs, Game 7, the entire NHL. It's a fun time to be a sports fan, and we love bringing it to you every single day. Thanks to David Carl, head coach of DU Pioneers Hockey, for joining us. Danny Bailey's in the booth, makes everything work. We will be back tomorrow for Santa Clough. I'm Sean Drotar, and this is MyLifeSports. 
I had a bad week, spent the evening pretending it wasn't that deep. You could see in my eyes that it was taking over. I guess I was just blind and caught up in the moment. You know you take all of my stress right down. Help me get it off my chest and out.